canonize the appeal that Betty Friedan made in The Feminine Mystique. Friedan told housewives to flee the suburbs and take on paid work. So today, it is easy to forget that by 1900, more than half of American women were already working outside their homes. Many of them were unmarried. At work or on the way to and from work, they crossed paths with men. It is hardly surprising that some of these singles were interested in flirting and pursuing relationships with one another, and it made sense for them to do so in public places. Where else did they have? The son of a rabbi, Samuel Hotznikov, came with his family from Vitebsk, Russia, to New York when he was 17 years old. They lived in a housing project on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Kotznikov grew up to be a well-known music critic, and in his memoirs, he described their home in the Stanton Street settlement. The average apartment consisted of three rooms, a kitchen, a parlor, and a doorless and windowless bedroom between. The etiquette of courting was strict, he added. If a young man came to call on his older sister, the two of them would have to crowd in the kitchen. If his parents were out... They made Samuel stay in to spy on his sister and any suitors who turned up. Privacy in the home was practically unknown, the grown-up Kotznikov recalled. Privacy could only be had in public. Of course, traditional parents would have preferred to set up their children through family members or matchmakers. In the old country, your family and community had controlled courtship. Many ethnic and religious groups funded political and theatrical clubs in the hopes that their children would meet there. But even strict parents tended to trust their children not to do anything too untoward outside. Many courting couples were allowed to go walking and attend concerts, balls, and plays together. When young Samuel headed out to the park near his home, he saw young men and women everywhere. They strolled hand in hand and squeezed next to each other on benches, They tucked themselves between trees to steal kisses and caresses. English, Russian, and Yiddish drifted through the air. The girls mostly worked in laundries and textile factories. The boys worked in industrial sweatshops. As soon as they punched out, they met up. As twilight wore on, the streets became like one large party, into the darkening corners of which couples slipped. Someone might see you, but nobody was likely to. The risk you took became part of your bond. It was a secret that you shared. For people who could afford it, there were a growing number of other date spots. In cities across the country, saloons, restaurants, dance halls, and amusement parks were springing up to cater to new arrivals. The more daters went out, the more destinations they had to choose from. There were penny arcades packed with games— As films grew in length and quality, the owners of such establishments added projectors and started charging five-cents admission. By 1908, there were 10,000 Nickelodeons across America. Earning money gave young women a new degree of freedom to decide where they would go, with whom. Still, their wages did not amount to much. Despite the record numbers of women entering the workforce— The belief remained widespread that they were working not to support themselves, but only to supplement the earnings of fathers or husbands. Employers used this misconception as an excuse to pay women far less than they paid men. In 1900, the average female worker earned less than half of what a man would earn in the same position. This meant that women adrift, 
hardly made enough to eat, much less to spend on leisure. If I had to buy all my meals, I'd never get along, a young woman living in a boarding house in Hell's Kitchen told a social worker in 1915. The social worker, Esther Packard, was preparing a series of reports on the lives of women and children in the neighborhood. If my boyfriend did not take me out, another woman asked, how could I ever go out? Packard saw her point. In her case file, she noted, the acceptance on the part of the girl of almost any invitation needs little explanation when one realizes that she often goes pleasureless unless she accepts free treats. Most middle-class onlookers were less sympathetic. They had their own system of courtship. It was called calling. And around 1900, it still followed an elaborate set of rules. When a girl reached a certain age, usually around six.